But now, time for the talk. And like you, I am gutted that Mark is not available to do his second talk in the Biblical Prophecy series. It was brilliant last week. I'm so excited to hear what he has to say uh, this coming week as well. Um, but you know, it's, it's kind of been an interesting week of a uh, number of changes. I mean, we've also had that news about limiting from 30 to 6. I'm glad it doesn't impact here. But it was just at that moment where we were starting to think this is getting back to normal. And suddenly everything changes again. You know, it feels like in some ways we're going backwards. Uh, more people are getting sick. Uh, many of you who are on furlough are now facing redundancy and we're praying for you. And if you email in with a request prayer, we will add you to that prayer and continue to hold you up. Um, and also, and, and I know this isn't to the same degree, but my, uh, my daughter, my, my daughter who rarely asks for anything, um, but did want a birthday party in a couple of weeks. We've now had to say no to, and it's broken our heart. Um, I know it's a smaller scale of things, but it seems like everything we're, we thought was happening, everything we expected to happen is now out of the window. We're, we're going backwards, as, as it says. You know, our expectations of everything getting better have been destroyed. Now, this is the interesting thing, is that expectations are everything. Let's say, for example, you have to self-isolate and you have to spend two weeks in a B&B that you've never been to. Now, let's say I or someone else walks you into that B&B and we uh, take you to the door and, uh, and then we unlock the door. And before we open the door, we say, hey, just so you know, this is the honeymoon suite. Okay, this is the best thing we have. And as they open the door, you look in, you see a, a standard double bed. You see a single shower and no bath, and you go, this is horrible. I mean, where's the hot tub? This is absolutely, I, can't, I don't want to stay in here. Now, imagine if I said that, stopped at the door, but this time, instead of saying honeymoon suite, I turned around and said, hey, to be honest, this is going to feel like a prison for the week. And I opened the door, and you looked in, and you were like, oh, LED TV, free Wi-Fi, room service. Suddenly, you're so much happier. You know, expectations massively impact how you face a different situation and how you face life. Now, our expectation can make a huge difference on how we feel about something. You know, when we stood outside the door of COVID, you know, we all said, okay, well, look, this is bad, but, it, you know, maybe it's not that bad. And I'm sure in a few weeks' time, we'll be back to normal and everything will be okay. Well, weeks turned into months and... We kept busy and kept distracted, but nothing really um, kind of started to make sense. Nothing really started to come together. And as time wore on, uh, I don't know about you, but I started to uh, get a bit fed up, get a bit short-tempered, and certainly lost a bit of zeal for life every now and then. And I'm sure you're the same to some degree. But you know, many of us seem to have been emotionally kind of knocked by this. And in some ways, it's a bit of a surprise that we would be emotionally knocked by something um, because we didn't expect a time of pain or a time of difficulty and a time of trouble. We say it's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be different. There's supposed to be a different world. It's supposed to be getting better. Um, because we don't have the proper expectations. You know, there's a Nordic saying uh, I came across, and it just happens to fit in this talk. It says, there's no such thing as the wrong weather, just the wrong clothes. There's no such thing as the wrong weather, just the wrong clothes. You see, we want to change the weather. We want to change the circumstances. We want to change the world around us. But we don't realize that God has given us the appropriate attire and outfit for the weather that is about to come. We simply need to open our eyes and know what to expect so that we can be ready for anything. 
appropriately dressed, the summer is a beautiful time. Appropriately dressed, the winter is a wonderful time. Inappropriately dressed, it can be horrible and overwhelming. And so God is saying, I want you to be appropriately dressed for the seasons that are coming. Now, because you're the busy people and, uh, and you've got lots of things and Sunday and you want to have lunch and all this other stuff, I, I thought I'd speak from and around one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Okay, the one of the short, the, the shortest verb in the Bible, maybe you know it, uh, to look for, um, for look at comfort and wisdom. And on three, I want you to say it, I want you to put it in, your, uh, in the live chat, I want you to turn to the person next to you, because many of you know this, right? On three, one, two, three. Rejoice always. Is that what you're expecting? Perhaps you said Jesus wept, and in English, that's absolutely the shortest verse in the Bible. Fact that I learned this week, actually rejoice always in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is the shortest verse in the Bible in Greek. Fascinating, there's so much packed into there. And as I said, I want to talk around that. But that verse itself wasn't expected. And that's the problem we face on a daily basis, is that we have false expectations because we see things through our lens and our language. If you were, we, we aim for things that sound and seem as if uh, the things that would be best for us. For example, we go for comfort instead of for courage. We go for ease when we really should be going for extra. We go for uh, quiet when we should commit not to quit. You see, we go for the wrong things because we think it's slightly better for us and easier. But what we need is our expectations and our choices renewed if we're going to see gain in the pain. Sorry, that was a bit cheesy, but I just wrote it. Did you know, random fact, the earlier Christ, uh, earliest Christians um, were blamed for absolutely everything that went wrong in society? Absolutely everything. Get this. Uh, if there, something was unbalanced in the world, it must have been those gathering Christians, most of society were said, that were unsettling and everything, because that's the only thing that's changing. Tertullian was a Christian historian uh, a few centuries after Jesus, and he wrote the scathing attack of the time. And listen to this. He said, If the Tiber River rises too high in floods, if the Nile too low, if there's famine or plague, the remedy is always throw the Christians to the lions. And he was basically saying, Why are you blaming us all the time? This is ridiculous. And he was a Christian as well. You know, sickness, natural disaster, rioting was a sign of displeasure from the gods. And as people tried to correct whatever it was they were displeased, the only thing they could tell were the Christians were new and growing. And so they looked around and they thought it seemed much easier to blame them and throw them to the lions to, for, to appease them. Now you think, and I don't know about you, but I would certainly be uncomfortable with that. I would uh, be crying out and saying, where's my God? Has he left us? I'd be saying, you know, was this even real? Maybe even question the leaving of the faith or hiding um, your sense of, uh, of, of religion or faith or whatever that is. If you were being faced with slaughter, those would be options, right? Well, this is the bizarre thing. The Christians of that time, um, in this time of utter chaos, it was a time when the gospel spread like wildfire. It was a time where church, the church numbers grew and even grew in influence as well. It was a time of utter transformation because God was on the move. You know, eventually the world will come to be changed forever. Now, what was the difference about their attitude? I would say very simply it's this. It's expectations. And I think I'm a couple of slides behind. It's expectation. 
Let me tell you this. When the earlier, let me tell you something. The early Christians knew that we seem to have forgotten or we don't seem to know. They knew and expected this, that chaos is not the absence of God. Chaos is the arena in which he works. Chaos is not the absence of God. When things are all awry and all over the place, that's not an indication that God is missing. That's an indication that God is about to move. He's about to do something incredible and exciting. Now you think about that. That's true of myself. I'm sure that's true of you. When there's been times when you've been um, weak and, uh, and, and that you've come to the end of yourself, he's been your strength. When there's times when you feel lost, he's guided you. When there's times when you've been overcome and overwhelmed, he delivers you. I remember a few years ago, 2016, uh, I had a, a big bike accident and then a couple of months later I was on a plane with a team on the way to uh, a mission trip in India. And I remember going, okay guys, we're going to have to do this together because like, I, I really can't concentrate for very long. And not only that, every time I looked up, my, my head got dizzy, which my doctor helpfully explained was just a couple of loose bone fragments in my head. And uh, so I faced this experience in India going, okay, I haven't got much to give, but we'll give it a go. And I remember being empty physically and emotionally. I was exhausted almost all the time. And yet, every time I stood in front of someone to pray, amazing things happened. They were delivered. I had words of knowledge. Sometimes they were completely and utterly healed. Not only me, but also as I walked with the team, as we walked this walk together, they saw dozens upon dozens of people healed from things like paralysis and various other things. It was the most magnificent time. But at the same time, I was completely empty. It was a time of chaos for me. But for God, it was his arena to work in. You know, these moments of pain and emptiness aren't moments when he's absent. They're moments when he draws closer than we could ever imagine and is able and ready to do more than we can hope or imagine. You know, as I was praying for this talk and uh, Mark uh, kindly gave me all of yesterday to prepare for this, um, I felt like he was saying, I, I felt like this was what God was saying. He was saying, church, it's time to wake up. This is an Elisha moment. Do not miss it. Now, if I'm honest, I wish it was that clear. Uh, let me tell you exactly what happened so you can walk with it through me, with me. I was desperately at home praying, God, give me a word of encouragement. Give me something to say. And then I was dwelling and thinking and I was saying, God, I just, I want to know, God, where are the people that are getting saved and coming to know you? Where are those who are being healed? Where are those who are being delivered and their lives transformed? There are a couple, there are a few, and we love hearing those testimonies, but there must be more. There needs to be more. And I remember God highlighting something to me. And he said, uh, uh, yeah, he said to this, remind, remember that story. Actually, he, he kind of just put it in my mind. I suddenly thought about it, that in 2 Kings 6 with Elisha and his servant. Now, this was a time of war, and uh, they were constantly being chased, and Elisha was always one step ahead with the prophetic. And then one day they were camped together, um, and the Aramean army was um, was gaining land on them and then one morning the servants woken up woke up came out the tent and saw around him surrounded by the enemy and they were looking angry ready to attack it was game over and he turned to Elisha and basically in a place of despair and distraught saying what are we going to do now and Elisha says do not be afraid <laughs> I could imagine uh, the servants go what are you talking about and then Elisha did this he said uh, open, open his eyes, Lord, he prayed. Open his eyes so that he may see. 
The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw his, the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, though he was surrounded by the enemy, when he was able to look up with other eyes than just fear, he was able to see so much more. The Lord's army was greater, was more powerful, was unstoppable, and they were ready to act. At Elisha's command, the Aramean army was forced and uh, blinded. And it was a really funny story. You can read the rest of it, but they were led into the camp and, and they looked like they were being surrounded and slaughtered and they were let go in the end. But amazing story, just overwhelmingly beautiful. 2 Kings 6. If we could only open our spiritual eyes and see what God is doing and was doing, we would be so encouraged and empowered and probably a lot more mobile. You know, I'm asking and praying that he would give me and us eyes of expectation at this moment. We need new eyes to see what God is showing us. Mark touched on a book yesterday, uh, last week, sorry, 1 Thessalonians. Thessalonica was an interesting place. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the book of 1 Thessalonians, the latter, and I'm just going to flip through some verses. I'm basically just going to read the scripture, but add a few comments. If you have uh, your Bible in front of you, just flip open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think we'll start from, and uh, we'll literally just run through a few things. Bit of background while you do that. Uh, Paul and Timothy have um, nothing but encouraging words for Thessalonica and the church there. Um, they were just encouraged by them in every single way, but they could also identify there were a few things that were just upsetting, roadblocks, if you were, that they were struggling with. One of them, well, they were eagerly, eagerly waiting for the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. They were told about it, they believed it, they held on to it, but they were afraid of missing it. They were afraid of not being ready. They were afraid that they weren't in the right place. The second thing is that actually while they were waiting, some people had died and passed away. Some people had suffered. And not only were they in mourning, but they were suddenly plagued with these questions. What's going to happen to them? Have they missed the opportunity to come and encounter Jesus? And a lot of this book is written to help them and encourage them in that place. And all of this was undermined and underlined sorry, by the uh, persecution of the church that was taking place right then. Now, this is a continual time of trouble, continual time of restrictions and, and holding back. And it seemed to be going on far longer than they expected and hoped for. And just when they thought it was going to be okay, it got worse. Does this sound familiar? And on top of all of this, Paul longed to revisit. He longed to come back. But because of the persecution, he was basically, um, he was on the banned list. He wasn't able to travel there. And so, after lots of encouragement in this letter, Paul starts his closing thoughts with this in chapter 4. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Now, this is an interesting thing. Uninformed, unexpected, unexpectant. You know, I really think that this is a time where we need to be expectant, where we need to be informed of what God is doing and what the world is like about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, Paul was reminding them that our hope is vastly different from those who do not know God. Because of that, because of that our expectation of this life and the life to follow is vastly different from those who do not go, know God as well. And he goes on to elaborate, fortunately. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. We know for certain 
that suffering and death, although as horrendous as it is, is not the end. It's not the worst thing that can happen. It's not the final thing. Because those who are in him, those who trust him, those who walk with him, those who love him and follow him, they know that they're certain, their future is certain in another place, a place of peace, a place of hope, a place of uh, freedom from sickness and, and toil and insecurities and restrictions. It's a place of utter freedom. I love this. Andy Stanley um, says this, eternal life is not a reward. And what he's saying is eternal life is not a reward. It's an inheritance. It's a right. It's a gift for those who belong in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is it doesn't matter. Your, your mark of whether or not you have that certainty of your salvation is nothing to do with how good or bad you are or what you've done, the record is keeping, what kind of life you've lived. Amazingly, it's utterly and wonderfully and wholly to do with what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. That he would then take all of your sin, all of your burden, nail it to the cross, redeeming you and um, freeing you forevermore to choose to follow him on a daily basis. And that's the invitation. The eternal life, not the one in the future, the heaven, but the eternal life that starts today is an invitation that is available to you now. Paul then goes on to manage their expectation as he continues in. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. In other words, they're all crying out, just give us peace, just give us safety. Why can't it just be a quiet time of peace and safety? Isn't that what everyone wants? I certainly do as well. But isn't that the goal of the world is just peace and safety? But that's not reality. That never has been for as long as history has run. And Paul is trying to say to them, I know that's what you want, but do not be uninformed. Do not be uh, unexpectant. The reality of this world is different. Destruction will come on suddenly, unexpectedly for those who are not expecting it. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. So that this day should, should not surprise you, basically, as like a thief. People are seeking peace. People are saying that peace uh, comes from our circumstances. Peace comes from having enough this and having this and putting that in place. But if we just take a moment to think about it, you can still worry when you have everything in place. You can worry that you're going to lose it all. You can worry that things are not going to work, that the car will break down or the house will have issues that you can't afford or whatever it is, or indeed illness, things that are out of your control. We can have everything and still worry about future stability and security. You see, the only true peace of God comes from peace with God. The only true peace of God comes from peace with God. It's only when we know him, it's only when we're in that relationship, that intimacy with him, when we're no longer at enmity with him, do we see that he loves us that he's for us, that he's with us, that he's never going to forsake us. And indeed, his plan may not be this moment that you're in, but it is something far better than this. And that's where he's taking you. And that will never cease until he gets you to where he plans on taking you. Our peace of God comes from peace with God. Paul goes on. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. In other words, let's be clear in our thinking, in our expectation. Putting on faith 
Oh, I might have skipped ahead. Putting on faith. Oh, where am I? <laughs> oh, I'll figure it out. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. In other words, as I said at the beginning, be prepared for the weather. You can't change the circumstances, you can't change the world you're in, but you can be prepared to face them. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, suffering is not his plan for us. It may be the shortcut to it. He may um, uh, you know, use it, and indeed that Romans 8.28, uh, he can work all things for the good of those who love him, but it's not the goal. It's not the end. It's not punishment. He's not trying to make your life difficult on purpose. The whole goal is salvation. To be united with him without any barrier, without any block, to be with him in eternity. This is just the weather until we get there. He died for us so that, uh, sorry, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another. And build each other up just in, as in fact you are doing. And then Paul goes on to give some clear guidance about what we should do as a result of our clear thinking and expectation. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those whose hard work, who's with hard work among you. And this is not just the NHS. We absolutely deserve, continue to thank anyone in health services. But look around for people who are working. Look around for people who are active. Look around for people who are trying to make this a better time. Thank them. Seek out that opportunity to thank them. I dropped an email to uh, someone who's a receptionist at school um, about a, an appointment or something come up, and she said, thank you back, and I, I said, thank you for all that you're doing. And bless her, she wrote an email back, uh, just one line, saying, thank you, your parental appreciation is so important and so encouraging. Anyone and everyone deserves that appreciation um, if they're working, uh, as it says, who care for you and in the Lord and who admonish you. And that's looking out for you, wanting the best for you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, he goes on to say, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, there were people in this church in Thessalonica who were not engaging in their fair share of the work. They were not playing their role. They were the kind of people who were just expecting everyone else to do it. They could come and sit down and just watch everything. And you know what? Maybe they'll pick something up again when things return back to normal. Well, Paul says no. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. As a separate note, he then goes on to say, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. See, these people are not idle. Or maybe you're sitting there under condemnation going, oh, I want to help, I want to do something. I just, I just can't. Family, this and the other, I genuinely can't. I wish I could. Paul has a separate category. You're not classified as idle. You're classified in that place of going, I'm disheartened and I need help. And for those people, Paul says, help. Help them. Come around them. Separate, he separates them clearly and he says, reach out to them, love them. Um, make, a, make a moment, make a time where you can just take someone. We do that 60-second break in the notices to, for you to just to think about someone who's on your mind, who's been on your mind, and just go, oh, I meant to text them. Now's that chance. And I don't mind if you just tune off for a few moments and drop a text to someone now. That's absolutely fine. But we all need encouragement, especially when we're feeling so isolated. Who do you need to reach out to? Be patient with everyone. I think that's just me, so we'll move on. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong 
for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. To some degree, in, in normal times, these were basic things, but sometimes we just need reminding of those fundamentals. And then this is the bit that only makes sense when you know and believe that God is in charge and has covered the hills with his armies and surrounded us and overwhelmed the enemy at a moment's notice. He says, rejoice always. That's it, rejoice always. Now that's not a command out of nowhere, that's a reflection on everything he's been doing, everything he is doing and everything he's going to do. You are able, if you have appropriate expectations, if you have an appropriate reality, uh, view of reality, if you have an appropriate relationship with him where you are dependent on him, trusting him for this, that you have no choice but to rejoice always because you know it doesn't come down to you, that he has got you, he is in charge, he is in control, and no matter how bad things get here, there's going to be a better chapter. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Now, I was saying to my team that uh, I, uh, I always underestimate this. I think we all do, to be honest. I don't think there's a way of overestimating this. But I did come across an article called The Coronavirus Experiments, and it's based on this book by James O'Fraser uh, called Mountain Rain. And uh, in this book, he's a missionary, and he wants to go up the Himalayas and sets up a, uh, kind of a base at the bottom, and it travels up, it's a couple of days trip, and then when he gets up there, he preaches for six, seven hours, and then comes back, and does this to several different places, and there's a few kind of local. Well, one year, rain just came out of nowhere, and just was relentless, and did not stop. And in that time, he was, uh, he was getting upset, he was getting frustrated, he could reach some of them, but so many of them, he could not reach, and it was just, just bringing despair and distraught into him. And then he had this thought, this prompt as it were. He says, I would go up there and preach for seven, six, seven hours. How about instead of preaching, I spend that time praying for them? How about if I just dedicate, I'll do, I'll do it as an experiment, let's see what happens. And he did that very thing. Now, as you can imagine, the ones on the bottom he was able to see there continue to grow. And maybe you've guessed it already, but he went up to those things once the rain abated and he saw how much deeper, how much more alive, how much more they were thriving in Jesus Christ. Not because of him going up there and doing six and seven hours of preaching, but because he prayed for them and held them. Pray continually. Pray as often, as regularly as can, whether it's for others or for yourself. You see, the enemy knows this is your greatest weapon. There is nothing more powerful and more poignant than this and will do anything to distract you or disarm you from that. Next one is this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving and praise is the way we enter the gates and courts of the king, as it says in the Psalms. The goal of the enemy is that the Christian would become so complacent that all we would do is go, oh, I'll just wait for a better day. I just wait for it to be a bit calm, a bit more peaceful. The, the, the terrain is not right, you know, I can't really get out, so I'll just put everything on hold and you know, we'll wait for a time of peace because that's really what I want is peace and happiness. Oh, that's a winning shot for the enemy. And I want to say this, just give thanks in all circumstances. Seek God, look for him because that's God's will. When we are thanking God, when we are rejoicing, when we are seeing so many things around us, we can't help but want to do more. We can't help but step out more. Do not quench the spirit. Do not ignore the gifts of the Holy Spirit or ignore his prompts for fear of missing out on the moment. You know, do, 
Do we look at someone with a serious illness? Maybe you've done this before, and you go, well, I usually would offer a prayer, but you know, to be honest, I just don't think God's going to do anything. So let's just, let's just comfort them and get them ready for, for worst-case scenario. I was talking to our pastoral team, uh, Trevor and Mel, absolutely amazing guys, and we had a really good conversation about it. Short story is we came out of that with three absolutes. We promised ourselves three things. One, we will always pray. No matter the thing, no matter the situation, we will always pray. I remember someone who suffered from ME for years upon years upon years. And I remember uh, Dennis, uh, he, would, he went around there one day, he was having a meeting, he walks in the room and said, what are you doing on the couch? You're a 20-something-year-old person, you should be up. And they told him, he goes, oh, that's not right. And he prayed for them and they were feeling better straight away. Anyway, they'd you know, been for prayer thousands of times before, I'm sure. But one day passed, several days passed, a week passed, and they suddenly realized they were utterly and completely healed of something that they've had for years. We will always pray. We as a pastoral team, we as a, uh, as a prayer team will always pray for whatever it is that there it is that you need us or we need us to pray for. The second thing is we will always wait to hear. This is important because we don't just want to jump in and pray whatever. I mean, it's right that we pray, but actually there's so much more power when we just pause. Uh, I remember someone who came, um, who I bumped into, and I met them, and uh, we were talking about kids, and they said they weren't able to conceive. And I remember wanting to pray for them. I felt prompted to pray, but before I jumped in, I said, God, just give me the words, because I don't want to, of course I don't want to break the heart, I don't want to do this, that, the other, I just want to pray. And I remember in that moment, a wonderful moment of God just saying, I, you know, gave me a picture of them with a the child. And yeah, I still wasn't 100% sure, but it felt like I waited long enough for an answer, and I prayed for them. And nothing happened for years. And then about five, six years later, we finally got the text to say we we're conceived, we we're pregnant, baby's on the way, this is great news. We'll always wait um, on God and hear what he wants to do. And finally, we'll always share testimonies, all of those things. If you've got a testimony, share it, it gives God glory, it gives us faith, it builds us up. We need to share those stories, email and send to them. And then goes on, do not treat, maybe, uh, might be ahead of myself. Do not treat prophecies and contempt with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. That was the encouragement to listen to Christian leadership of the time. That's what they were not doing. Um, to check what is said is true, but to also trust and walk together. That's the important thing. Not as individuals, but together. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through, through and through. You see, there's a difference between a restrained uh, heart and a supernaturally changed heart. A humanly restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. It, this is not a positive thinking 101 challenge. This is not about us pretending and being, uh, we ignore the bad stuff. This is about us facing reality, um, but knowing that when we, are believe, when we believe, when we walk with Jesus, when we see who he is, that we will be transformed. You see, peace is not the absence of thoughts, but the presence of God. It's not the absence of thinking, it's the presence of God Almighty in himself, in our life, that we know. See, Christian peace is not that you stop facing the facts, but that you get something in your life, a living power, as it were, that comes into your life and enables you to triumph over those facts. You know, how familiar are we with this um, passage? In this world, you will have trouble. But do we remember the verses either side of that? Because they are so important to the context and to the reality and expectation. I have told you these things so that, expectation, that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, reality. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. 
Even though now is difficult, the future is guaranteed. That sandwich, that promise, yes, it's reality, but we need to remember and have appropriate expectations. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. It's a promise for him. Once again, this is his plan, his purpose, his will. You are simply invited to join in and receive it. And then finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Can't do that. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, this is so important that we get that Jesus is with us and he's for us. But it's also so important that we have the right expectation. As I said right at the beginning, chaos is not the absence of God. It's the arena in which he works. We're going to take a few moments to listen to Sam's new song, as I said right now. And, uh, and it's a beautiful song, In the Hidden Place, where we can just rest in him. Because once we know we're in him, then all of this starts to make sense. So bless you, Father God. Over to you, Sam.
follow you in faith Yes, have your way God, have your way I love that promise that we can be ourselves, that we can be safe, that we can be secure in his embrace, that we can be in a place of end of striving, that there's no weight. And in that place, we can surrender to him and say, have your way. Sam, first of all, amazing song. Thank you so much for creating that. Thank you, Vineyard Worship. Um, sorry, Sam, for performing it and Vineyard Worship. Lord, we just bless them. Let me just pray a prayer from uh, St. Francis of Assisi to close. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me pardon. Where there is doubt, show me faith. Where there is despair, give me hope. Where there is darkness, show me light. Where there is sadness, give me joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek as to be consoled as to console. To be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardon that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we awake to eternal life. Bless you, Lord. Hey, we're coming to the end of the service now. Uh, in the chat, in the notes section, if you click on that, you'll find our words of knowledge. These are things that our prayer team have been praying about. And, and they act as a prompt for you. But you can email in whatever it is that you would like us to pray for. And maybe a few things have come up on this. So check those out, though, and, uh, you know, God is definitely prompting if, if, if you need it. Uh, otherwise, our prayer team are on standby, and we can receive prayer requests through the week. Just email pastoral at thevineyardchurch.co.uk. If you've got any questions, uh, we'd be delighted to pray for you. We'd be delighted to help, maybe even have a conversation with you. But Father, bless you. Father, I ask that this would bring you joy. Father, as you've commanded us and challenged us to rejoice always for all that you have done and you are doing, Lord God, I thank you that you rejoice over us, your saints. And I ask, Lord God, that you would meet with us, you would go with us, you would inspire us and invigorate, that you would open our eyes of expectation, uh, eyes to reality and indeed eyes to what you are doing, that we may see those on the mountains and the hills and we may speak those words that bring your healing and deliverance and life in the name of Jesus. We ask this, we pray this, and we bless this for your glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.